Hello and welcome to Calling All Detectives from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Calling All Detectives. You generally think of ghosts as invisible, but I once had a ghost who asked me for help on a case. That is the situation on this page from my casebook, the casebook of Jerry Browning, private detective. It isn't often that a private detective like me, Jerry Browning, gets involved in a ghost story, but it can and did happen. This was a very substantial ghost. It didn't look like one when he walked into my office. In fact, hello, Jerry, long time no see. Well, well, Mark Wendell, the big man on the campus. It certainly has been a long time. What's with you these days? Mark didn't like that question. Not so good, Jerry. Remember how I was voted the guy most likely to succeed? Well, I've succeeded all right in building other people's reputations. I didn't get that and said so. I'm a ghostwriter, Jerry. I make other people rich and famous on my brains. Calm down, Mark. I don't know what you're talking about. Mark Wendell sat down. Sorry, Jerry. I'll take it easy. Did you ever hear of Barton McCoy? I knew McCoy's name about as well as does anybody who has a radio. McCoy is a commentator. In 15 minutes a night, he solves all the world's problems. Sure he solves them, Jerry, from the stuff I write for him. And that's not all. I wrote the guide and travel books that made Frank Arlen famous, did a series on home decorating for Paul Winard, and even the lectures on child care and family living for Gloria Terry. Parasites, that's all they are, every one of them. It was more in the same vein. Finally, I got tired of listening. Look, Mark, why have you come to see me? You can call it sour grapes if you like, Jerry, but I can't take it anymore. I've written a book, shows up all these fakers for what they are, and, well, I expect trouble when it's published. You'll probably get it. If I do, Jerry, promise you'll help me if I call for it, because I'm going to expose those phonies even if it kills me. Mark Wendell, a ghost writer, intended to write a book exposing his clients and wanted to be sure of my help if he needed it. I promised to do what I could, and that's the last I heard of him for six months. Then, it was a messenger boy with a heavy package in his hand. I signed for the parcel, took it inside, and discovered I had the complete carbon copy text of Mark Wendell's book, The Real McCoy. I glanced through a few pages and discovered in five minutes that the thing was pure dynamite. Somebody had to stop Mark from letting this book get published or else he'd face a dozen libel suits. Mark's apartment was on the top floor of a walk-up building. I went on in without knocking. There was nothing for me to do. Somebody had already stopped Mark the hard way with a bullet. He was stretched across the dinner table, his hand still clutching a bunch of grapes in the fruit bowl. Half an hour later, the little apartment was jammed with cops. My friend Lieutenant Dawson was in charge, and I told him as much as I knew about the case. Jerry, this won't be too hard to figure. You got here at 7.30. We know the messenger boy picked up that copy of the manuscript you were sent at 6.30. It's on his official receipt, which means Wendell was killed between 6.30 and 7.30. Okay. And we know who our suspects are, the people named in that manuscript. One of those people is the killer. 
Half a dozen police stenographers read my carbon copy of Mark's book. Each of them took a group of pages, and as soon as they ran across a name... Barton McCoy, bring him in. Frank Arlen, eh? Go get him. I want every one of them. There were 20 names listed in the script. But because we had the time element figured so well, we could narrow down the list of suspects to those people who couldn't or wouldn't account for that one hour between 6.30 and 7.30. Finally, our suspects narrowed to four people. The same four Mark had mentioned to me. Barton McCoy, Frank Arlen, Paul Renard, and the lady lecturer, Gloria Terry. McCoy, the radio commentator, was indignant. See here, I have a national reputation for being cool and judicious. Do you suppose I would stoop to murder? Frank Arlen, the travel expert, was frightened. I am Frank Arlen, the Frank Arlen. I want a lawyer. Paul Renard, the designer, was amused. <laughs> of course, I knew Richards and Morley were about to publish this book, but I doubt whether anybody would read it. The fellow had no reputation. Murder him? <laughs> Ridiculous. And as for the lady lecturer, all she seemed worried about was that her makeup wasn't on straight. We put all four of them into one room, paid no attention to their threats or complaints. We gave them all copies of Wendell's manuscript to read, insisted that they read it, and waited for reactions. We got a fine bunch of reactions, especially if you could figure out what they meant. Renard, the designer, was still amused. He was reading the book for laughs. McCoy, the commentator, kept talking to himself. Gloria Terry read only a few pages and then just stared at the ceiling. As for Arlen, the travel expert, I absolutely refused to read this lying trash. Wendell was a fool. He had brains, a flair for words, but no originality. This book was written solely out of jealousy, just a plain case of sour grapes. Sour grapes? That was a familiar phrase. Wendell had used it about himself. But there was another bell ringing in my mind. Grapes. The grapes his dead hand had been clutching. I had it. I got up quietly. None of you have to read anymore. Three of you will be released in a moment because... I know who killed Mark Wendell. Dawson was frantically shaking his head, warning me not to commit myself, but I ignored him. I faced the four suspects. Mark Wendell named his killer just before he died. There was tension in the air, and McCoy couldn't take it. I didn't do it. I don't care if he did name me. I didn't kill him. Take it easy, Mr. McCoy. I wasn't thinking of the title of Wendell's book, The Real McCoy. This time, the McCoy isn't that kind of a McCoy. I'm thinking of another phrase. Of the fox and the grapes. Paul Renard tried to dart past me, but Dawson nailed him. Sure, it was Paul Renard. And Mark Wendell did name him. Renard, another word for fox. The grapes he was clutching. The last desperate attempt of a literary mind to draw an association to the age-old fable, the fox and the grapes. Yeah? Paul Renard confessed. He'd tried to buy Wendell off. And when that failed, he killed him, thinking that the book wouldn't be published after its author was dead. He was right about that. The publisher decided the manuscript had enough libel in it to put him out of business. But Renard wasn't foxy enough to figure that out. Like I said, it's all right to let somebody else think for you. But when you start getting your own ideas, and they include murder, then you don't stand the ghost of a chance.